I want to read this <clears throat> portion of scripture with you, and they'll put it on the screen, John chapter 3, and um, this is a story about, you know, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, you know, and this is his response. Uh, and so I want you to receive this word, and let's pray together. Jesus answered and said to him, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If he's until he's born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit. Here, of course, when it says water, it's, that's talking about born of a woman. You know, our natural birth, childbirth. Uh, of the spirit, of course, is our new birth. And uh, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, you've got to remember this part. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot let, tell where it can, comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Father, we just thank you, God, for this time together we have. We pray, Lord God, let, your, let heaven invade this place today. Let your word be powerful and strong as it is, Lord God. Let it be conveyed that way. Lord, let your word pierce our hearts. Go into us and change us. Shift things. Move things. Lift us, Lord God. Blast things out of us that don't belong there. And impart things in there that do belong there, Lord God. Father, we just thank you, God, for your glory in this house. We invite your presence, Lord God, to do what no man can do in these next few moments. And we just love you and we just thank you. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Hallelujah. Well, we, <clears throat> we know that the way that a, a person, a man or woman, becomes what we call a Christian, follower of Christ, sometimes we say they get saved, is really they get born again. And born again is the true term that describes it. You know, I mean, you, know, you can, today in the environment, the culture we live in today, you know, you can say, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, and yet we don't really know what you mean. It may mean you believe his teaching, the teachings of, you know, uh, the Beatitudes, uh, but yet you don't really believe everything that Jesus said and haven't given your life to him. Or, you know, if someone says, I'm a Christian, what does that mean? It means a lot of different things to a lot of people. But when you say you're born again, everybody knows. I mean, they all of a sudden got to get that wild-eyed look at you and say, oh, you're one of those. You know what I'm saying? Why is that? It's because <clears throat> to born again, watch this now, because I'm going somewhere with this. To be born again is not just an experience of adopting a new ideology or a new set of doctrines for your life, or it's not just about developing a new lifestyle. In other words, when you come to Christ, you don't, you know, we have to be careful of this, because you, uh, you can adopt cultural Christianity, to where that you come in and you join a church, maybe because someone invites you there, you know, 
however you got there. You get there and then maybe you get moved by a message, you know, and emotionally it touches you. And so you respond on an emotional level and say, oh, I want to keep, I'm going to come to church. And therefore you define your life, spiritual life after that by, I go to church, you know, but what does that mean? Because when you really <clears throat> become a Christian, when you're really born again, it's not just that you've made a decision to live differently, or you've made a decision even just to worship God and pray, or you've made a decision, you know, to gather with God's people, but literally, it is, a, it is, the, most, uh, it is the most explosive experience, I think, that man uh, could ever know. And that is where that when you're born again, literally, the Bible says the kingdom of darkness is blasted out of your life. It actually, the Bible says there was a kingdom of darkness operating in you. And then the moment that you give your life to Christ, say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the grave, God, so you could give me life. Forgive me of my sins, God, and, and, and I have life in relationship with you. The moment you do that, the Bible says that kingdom of dark, whole kingdom is blasted out of your life. And the new kingdom, the kingdom of light and love, the kingdom of God, is imparted to you. You are born again, which means you are, you are made brand new in your spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, uh, everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Uh, you know, in the Greek it says a new species. I like that. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a new species. That's right. You're a different kind of creature. Yeah, all right. So, so that some of y'all, that means different things than it does to me right now. But anyway, he says, all things have passed away, all things have become new. So that's being born again. The born again is the greatest thing in the world. It changes everything. Do you understand that? I think wherever I go, as I've all down through the years, I've fought against, in my preaching, fought against this whole idea of an anemic Christianity. Where the Christianity is just a, a praying and a little bit of worship and, you know, and coming to church and all that. But people don't understand the explosive change that takes place when you're really born again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There, you come into a kingdom of power. A kingdom of love. A kingdom of light. A kingdom of love. And that's why when you're really born again... You know, you actually become completely different. There should become a completely different you come alive the moment that you're born again. In other words, people should know it. And if they don't know it, then something's wrong. Now, having said that, so you can be born again, but yet the Bible teaches us that you can be born again, but yet not walk in what you have. Now, folks, listen to this. Watch this. Because the moment you receive Christ, you give your life to him, and you're born again, you're born again not just to be forgiven, made right with God. You're born again to begin to explore the life that God has given you and begin to develop that life that is in you to where you grow strong in Christ Jesus. Are you all with me now? To where you begin to enjoy all of the benefits of your salvation. Are you with me now? I've, dealt, I've seen so many people down through the years, they get born again, but then really they never, look, they become a church member, a churchgoer, they say, oh yes, I, I love Jesus, but yet they never become a disciple. 
Jesus did not say that we are called to make church members. We are called to make disciples. I like that. You listen to me. Every Christian is to be a disciple. If you're here in church and you say, I'm a Christian, I love God, then you are to be a disciple. And a disciple is not just someone who gets saved and then just kind of like coasts along and, you know, maybe they pray here, pray, and they read their Bible, but they never grow in God. To be a disciple literally means to be a, per, a student who practices disciplines. So a disciple is one that after you've been born again, that you grow in the disciplines of Christ. I'm saying this because, listen, you as a part of this church, Pastor Matt and Katie, you don't just look to them as saying, oh, aren't they great? And they're the strong ones. They're powerful. Wow, Matt, he hears from God. Katie hears from God. Man, they, they, they do a great job. Aren't they godly, powerful, spiritual people? And then you be content to say, look, I'm going to lean on them, but I am not going to pursue all the spiritual growth that God has for me in my life. God's will is for every Christian, every born-again believer to grow to the strength that you admire in your pastors. Are you with me now? There's a difference between the roles in the church, certainly, and God gives those pastoral roles, but there should not be a difference in the level of spiritual maturity that a person is allowed to go to or challenged to go to. Y'all with me now? So y'all get the point that when you're born again, really, if you do this thing right, the moment you're born again, you set off as a student or disciple to begin to learn and to grow and increase in spiritual strength every day the rest of your lives. That's what you do. It's like you're in school. Thank you for your tremendous response. <laughs> no, this is important because, look, it's all this paradigm that you have about Christianity and church, is it a correct one? You know, many people, when they listen to preaching, they listen to preaching, you know, to kind of get a little encouragement, you know, and a shot in the arm. You know, man, that was a good message. That's going to help carry me through the next week. Well, I want to tell you something. My message is not here to help you carry through the next week. Are you with me now? It's not like you drag in here, you know, and just like, you know, and I'm not saying you do, but you know, I mean, look, when I, when I say that, you know, sometimes I feel like I've or, you know, I seem like I'm getting on you, but I'm not really getting on you. I'm just getting on you. And <laughs> I'm trying to challenge you. That's what I'm doing. You understand that. But the thing is, is that, is that I'm not here. And even your pastors are not here, you know, to just help you kind of make it another week. Now, look, it starts there. You begin there. Are you with me now? But that's not where you live the rest of your life. The only place in the New Testament where the Bible gives us any kind of description for ministry for like pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers is in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And it says all of those pastors and so forth, all those spiritual leaders, that says that they are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ in love. Did you get that? In other words, that the leadership is here not to babysit me and to nurse me, but they are here to challenge me as a disciple that I may become equipped. They're here to equip me so I can do the work of the ministry. 
Many people come to churches and they think that the, the, the pastor is supposed to do all the work of the ministry. The pastor is supposed to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Are you with me now? And then the church is the one that, along with, you know, the pastor is a Christian too, so he never stops doing the work of the ministry, but he just becomes one of the people in the church that's doing the work of the ministry. Somebody shout amen if you agree with that. All right, look at me. I want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here. It's interesting where he says, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. Now, folks, look at these statements. Do you see that? These statements are astounding. Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, Right, and watch this. This is a church that he established, and they've already been going a while. And he's looking. They should be strong. They should be doing great things. And Paul looks at them. He said, look, you, you Christians at Corinth, he says, there's a problem. He says, I couldn't, when I came to you, he says, I couldn't even speak to you as spiritual people. He said, because you're yet carnal. Now watch this, and I'm going to show you a real danger, a pitfall that can grab hold of you as a Christian. And that is that the word carnal literally means to be ruled by the flesh. It means to, it means to be ruled by the body. When it's speaking of the body in the larger sense, meaning the mind also, the mind, the emotions, the body, the five, the body, the five senses. And he says, this, he says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people because you're ruled by the flesh. And your flesh is like your five senses, your, your body. So the things that you feel. It, it's, it's your emotions. You know, it's the stuff you feel in your emotions. It's your reasoning. It's your intellect. It's your will. All of these things is part of the flesh. And, and it's interesting. Paul says, you come to church and you can't even hear what I'm saying when I preach. It, it, it speaks to you on a, an, an emotional, intellectual level. But I can't even speak to you to the level of spiritual people. He says, because you're living your life walking by your reasoning, your emotions, being led by all that, your, your, everything, your body and your, your intellect and all of those things. Y'all with me now? And he said, because that, this is what astounds me. He didn't just say, because you're living according to the flesh like that. That you didn't want to hear what I'm saying. He says you can't hear it. And that really struck me. And I, uh, Mike, I begin to think of, about that. What is he saying? You can't hear it. And I begin to watch it. Look at this. Look at what we just read. He says, your carnal is babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. He says you're not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. For you're still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal behaving like mere men? So he uses the example here of being ruled by the flesh or being carnal, being, having envy, divisions, and strife. Now, you know, he could have used other things, but I think he used that whole category of strife, unforgiveness, envy, those kind of things, those relational things, because frankly, folks, in our life period, and certainly in our spiritual life too, the, really one of the greatest problems we ever encounter is, is our ability to walk in love and forgiveness with people around us who are difficult to get along with. Don't look at me like that. 
You know what I'm talking about. It's true. This is why whenever Jesus was asked the question, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, in essence, it's, there's two sides of it. One is this. He said, one is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But number two is love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, there's two sides of this. If you want to know what the greatest commandment, which is what God's greatest will and highest order for you is, is to love God with all your heart, and then just the same as you love God, love people as you love yourself. And the reason God says that's the great commandment is because, listen, God's ultimate goal, listen this, is for us to grow up strong in him, to have the most intimate, close relationship we possibly can. And he knows in order to do that, we're going to have to challenge and overcome all of our relational issues that come up in our life. That people are the greatest joy that we have in our life, but they're also the greatest difficulty that we have in our life. Right? You don't believe it. Have kids. <laughs> you have kids are the greatest joy in the world. But they're also the biggest problem in the world. You know what I mean? It's the way it is. But you wouldn't have any other way. I was reading something in an article the other day about the guy was talking about marriage. This is actually a, a skeptic or an atheist or so. I don't know what he was. Anyways, but he, and he was talking about marriage and he says, he says marriage is very difficult. He said, I don't recommend people to get married. He says, because your life is easier, you know, if you don't get married. He said, why would you purposefully go out and ask for all of that challenge and all that difficulty and hurt you have to deal with, you know? And I've read that and I thought about that. I said, look, certainly if our whole goal in life was to live easy, there's a lot of things I wouldn't do in life. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but my daddy always taught me that the best things in life aren't free. That it's the things that you have to work the hardest for that are actually the most enjoyable and the greatest blessing in your life. Are you with me now? And so our, our relationship with people are our greatest blessing, but they're also our greatest challenge and difficulty. And Paul says this. He said, this is one of the primary ways that you are leaning on the flesh. He said, you're getting in strife. You're having unforgiveness. You know, you're being envious. There are divisions among you. And this is what astounds me. We, we know that, that that stuff happens. As a matter of fact, it's the history of churches. You know, church splits. Church separations, church divisions, all of these things. I mean, it's church history is just riddled with that. And we look at that, and we kind of look at it and frown upon it some and say, well, that, that's not good. But we don't see it for, for, the, for, the, uh, for how serious it really is, whether it's on a corporate level or an individual level. Because Paul says, because of your envy, your strife, your divisions, your unforgivenesses, he says, not only do you not want to hear the word, he said, you cannot hear. He said, the word cannot penetrate your life. Why would that be the case that Paul would say, because of the way you're walking, rely on the flesh, that why would it be that it would literally present a block where you cannot, where the word does not have effect in your life? You want to know why it is? It's because Jesus said in John 6, 63, he says, my words are spirit and they are life. 
Everybody say, God's words are spirit. The word of God. When you see that word, the word of God is spirit. This word, can I have this mic? The word, see this word right here. These, I'm sorry. The word of God. <laughs> Look at this word. See this word. The word of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit. And they are life. And whenever you live on the, on the plane of the flesh, being ruled by the flesh, you're living in a completely different world or arena from which the living word of God operates and functions. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul said that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Listen, and he goes further and says, neither can he know them. Because they are spiritually discerned. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, you don't realize that whenever you live in the flesh with your mind focused on the natural and the flesh all the time, you're living in a completely different world from which this living spiritual word functions and operates. So the reason you cannot, you cannot receive the, the spiritual word, the word doesn't take effect in your life, is because it's functioning on a different plane in a different world. And you've got to, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Y'all see that? That's why Paul tells us, that's why Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says you must live in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Somebody say amen, huh? All right, having said that, I want you to look, just look at this. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, y'all still with me now, huh? Glory to God. This is big stuff, what I'm telling you today, if you really get it, because look, I thought of this, I preach a lot of different messages, and, and, but this message is really what the whole thing is all about. It's, it's about how we grow up in Christ how we become all that God desires for us to be. Look at this in Romans 8, 1, where Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who did not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I read this, and I thought about this. I've seen so many people who live their lives trying to overcome condemnation. They live in condemnation all their life, but they're, they're trying to overcome condemnation, condemnation while they're living a life in the flesh. Y'all listen to that. In other words, he says, there is no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And remember, walking after the flesh is things like walking in unforgiveness, living in strife. That's living in the flesh. Or living in fear. Y'all listen to me now. Living in fear is living being led or ruled by the flesh. And he says here, he says, there's no condemnation to those who do not live in the flesh, but who live in the spirit. And many people try to overcome condemnation. That's one of the greatest challenges people have in their life. A sense of unworthiness, a sense of inferiority, insecurity, not being worthy to receive anything from God. And they try to overcome condemnation while they are contradictorily living, being led and ruled by the flesh. Whether it's by fear, whether it's by unforgiveness or strife, 
it could be one of a thousand things. But the thing is, is this, is that we have to, we, he says that God's, the con, God's word works in those who live according to his spirit. So what does it mean to live in the spirit? Look at this. He says in Romans, back here in verse 5, Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now I want you to see here, watch this very carefully. What we see here is now, as he says here, that those who are in the flesh are those who set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are living in the spirit are those who set their minds on the things of the spirit. Now, what did we just see there? What is that saying? It's saying this, that if you want to live in the spirit, because, you know, that is to some people kind of a, a ethereal, like mystical idea. What does it mean to live in the spirit? Some people think that living in the spirit just means living. Well, I got to pray. You know, I need to read my Bible. I need to go to church. I need to be good. All these, that means living in the spirit. That's not living in the spirit at all. You can pray. You can read your Bible and everything and live totally in the flesh. As a matter of fact, people do it all the time. They pray for stuff, ask God for stuff, and then right after they pray about it, they go out and they worry about it. And worry is an activity of the flesh. So they're trying to get an, uh, God to work in the realm of the spirit when they're living in the flesh. You all get that? So, well, listen. So, it's, so praying, you say, oh, what's being spiritual? What does it mean to be spiritual? It's not just doing all those different things. To be spiritual, to, to be a spiritual person, or to live in the Spirit, is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In other words, that's really all it is. Everything else flows out of that. You first got to get the rudder of your mind set in alignment with the realm of the Spirit to where your mind is being ruled by the Spirit. You with me now? By God, by His Word, rather than being ruled by your feelings and your emotions and all that other stuff. That's what living in the Spirit is. It's when you get your mind set over on the things of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's take in the realm of fear. It's whenever things come against you that you've been afraid of in the past and you have naturally veered over into the flesh and been ruled by your fears to where now what living in the Spirit would be like is when that fear tries to come along that you just stand up. You may still feel the fear. You may still, your body may be going crazy, running 100 miles an hour with adrenaline out of fear. But walking in the spirit, living in the spirit is looking at that activity of flesh and say, I acknowledge that you exist, but I don't give you the right to rule me or control me. God's word says that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. And I am choosing to live in the Spirit, which means to live being ruled by what God says about me. If God says he hasn't given a spirit of fear, then I'm not going to take it from anybody else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, good preaching, Brother Rick. Thank you.
Hallelujah. So the thing is, y'all see that. Isn't that beautiful? You know, if you take it in the realm of strife, unforgiveness, you know, whereas in the past, you know, you carry your feelings on your shoulders and get hurt all the time and get offended because you've been living in the flesh. What it means now to live in the spirit, it means to set your mind over there to where that when those things that happen, that like used to happen and you got all, been out of shape and offended and you quit, don't forgive people, when it happens now, the feeling, here's the thing, the feeling you got to understand is always going to be there. The feeling of offense or the feeling of being hurt, the feeling of being rejected, the feeling of being betrayed, that is always going to be there. Why? It's going to be there because that is not in the realm of the spirit. It's in the realm of the flesh. And the flesh, the Bible says in Romans 8, if we would read further, it says that the flesh is at enmity, which means at war against God. Are you with me now? And so you will feel things in the flesh. But folks, let me tell you this. You can't control your flesh. In other words, your flesh is going to act and do what it wants to do until you choose to live in the Spirit and take God's Word and be ruled by that until gradually you train that rowdy, crazy flesh to obey what God says to do. In other words, you're never going to grow in the Spirit waiting for your flesh to change. So you don't feel like that anymore so you can grow. Y'all out there now. You say, God, why don't you deliver me from this fear? God, why don't you deliver me from this fear? And God says to you the same thing he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians. Where he said, Paul asked him to take three times. Remember that thorn away. And Paul says, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I like that. My grace, grace, my empowering presence, my empowering presence has come and lived in you. And he said, you're asking me for, to, for me to take away something that I have already given you the grace to stand against yourself. What he was saying to Paul is this, it's not Paul, no, I don't want you to be rid of that stuff. I want you to be rid of that thorn. But I'm not going to take it away because if I take it away for you without you doing anything, he said, then it'll leave you, but you won't grow in the process. And what he was in essence saying to Paul was, Paul, my highest goal is not to get you free of a thorn. It's to grow you up strong in your righteousness and your holiness and your authority against the enemy so that nothing can conquer you. Hallelujah. I like that. I'm glad I came here today. I, just, I needed to get this one out of me here this morning. Hallelujah. Oh, I could go on like this for a couple hours, you know, but I probably will the next service. But anyway. It's a real problem when many Christians live in the flesh, and part of living in the flesh is living, always praying miracle prayers instead of praying growing prayers. God, take it away from me. God, I don't want it. God, please deliver me from it. 
When God says my grace is sufficient for you, I want you to take my word, put it in your spirit, and choose to stand on my word instead of what your flesh is telling you until the word in your spirit changes the flesh that is coming against you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because your flesh is going to feel stuff. You have to learn to choose God's word while you're still feeling all the junk. Some people think, well, I can't forgive. I just can't forgive. Of course you can forgive him. Well, I don't feel it. Of course you don't feel it. Many times you don't feel it until you choose it. Are you with me now? Because feeling it is of the flesh. Choosing it is of the spirit. You have to choose it in the spirit. Choose God's word. Choose to forgive. And then your flesh will gradually come in line with what you choose. Hallelujah. I like that. You know, it's interesting that when we see that or when we understand that, something begins to change on the inside of us. Something begins to shift. Um, and I'm going to show you what it is. Look here with me in Romans chapter 12. I'm actually reading this out of the Amplified Bible, but look at this, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. This is exactly what I'm preaching to you today. To make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. Holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Now, that's all that I've been telling you this morning. Now, watch this. But he connects that now, watch this, to this. And do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. But be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind. By its new ideals and its new attitude. Everybody say, God's mind has new ideals and a new attitude. So that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Now watch this. This is, this is powerful. I told you that living in the Spirit is setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. How do you set your mind on the things of the Spirit? It's not just by, and I may have even given this impression, if all you heard was what I've already said to you now, now, if you don't hear this next thing, and that is that setting your mind on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of the flesh is not just taking in a momentary experience or in a moment of time whenever let's say a fear is coming against you and just in that moment you say no I won't be afraid no I choose God no I that's part of it but that alone is not going to cause you to grow in the spirit or to cause you to grow spiritually to where eventually your flesh changes are you with me now what you have to do is you have to back up farther than that and you have to approach 
your mind at the level of renewal, not the level of just, you know, spouting off a word against an attack that's coming against you. The renewal of the mind is foundational. Are you with me now? The renewal of the mind is foundational. Here's what, this is so powerful, this is, that whenever you renew your mind, all it means is simply this. Your mind is, let me say it this way, your mind is an interesting thing. I was listening to a, a, a podcast of a neurologist one time, neuroscientist, and he was talking about the brain, and he said this. He said, you know, the brain, you know, is made up of like, first of all, there's this, the front part, there's the, called the prefrontal cortex. They call it the PFC, prefrontal cortex. He said, that's where your conscious thoughts go into. You know, if I was to tell you around, see that pulpit there? Everybody think about that pulpit right now. Think about that pulpit. You got your mind on that pulpit? That thought about that pulpit is in your prefrontal cortex. Because all your conscious minds, the thoughts that you're thinking, choosing to think, that's where they go in the prefrontal cortex. He said also there's the limbic system, and the limbic system is basically your memory system. It's this memory bank that you have, and when you put things in your prefrontal cortex, listen, in one of two things, either when you keep, when you put something in your prefrontal cortex, a thought, enough times, long enough, over time, eventually, it will wear neural paths or grooves, if you please, in the limbic part of your brain. Are you with me now? In other words, and what that means, wearing those grooves in the memory part of your brain, the limbic system means that once you wear a groove, let's say you get hurt or you get abused or something like that happens, and therefore, that's the other way, besides over and over putting a thought into your mind, through trauma, Trauma, they say, can like supercharge the, the neurons to where it almost immediately wears a groove in your brain. And when a groove is worn in the limbic system part of your brain, then the, all the other thoughts that come into your brain in that whole area of love and, you know, relationships and all that, they all flow through, through the ruts in your brain or through the grooves in your brain. So like water flowing to the lowest place. They have to be filled. Those new thoughts have to be filtered through the grooves that have been worn in your brain. Now, did you all get that, huh? You got that. So you get hurt or wounded in your life, and then maybe you get bitter, and that wears a groove, a bitterness groove in your brain. Maybe it wears a groove of unworthiness, a groove of feeling like you're unclean or not worthy or whatever. You're insecure. That's a groove in your brain. And so now you get new words. New thoughts that come in, and all of those new thoughts. Let's say you had that pastor, maybe you were married before, and you were really abused in that marriage. Now, now you get into a new marriage. You've got a groove worn in your brain of rejection by that husband. And now you've got this new husband. He's a good guy. He ain't like the old guy. But every time he says certain things that are similar to what that other guy said, it triggers. Y'all listen to me now. Because all that new information is going through the old grooves. You ain't married to the same guy, but you're filtering through his old grooves. Yeah, that's, that's wow. And that's why even though we hate what we've been through or the stuff that's happened to us, we live repeating the pain. We repeatedly live in the pain. 
Why is it that people have been hurt, wounded, abused, many years later still feel the pain? It's because they have not understood what it means to renew the mind. They've got grooves worn in their brain. My wife was sexually abused. As a girl, for a, hand, for a while, a number of times, they tell her, say, when you, get, oh, when you get, become an adult and get married, you better not tell your husband he'll divorce you. He said, if you tell anybody, he said, I'll kill you. Now you take my wife. We've been married 10 years, and after 10 years, finally she tells me that. She was afraid I wasn't going to love her anymore if she told me. Now she tells me after 10 years of marriage. And, uh, of course, I loved her, said, let's work through this. I watched God over the next couple of years take and bring healing to my wife to where she, like, she, I say, she unfolded like a flower in the springtime. And that's been now many, many years ago. And I look at my wife. Here she's been sexually abused as a kid for a period of time. That's about as bad as it gets. And yet I see her now. And I don't see her with the pain that she had all those years before she renewed her mind. Are you with me now? And before she renewed her mind, and there's several things she, that was involved in that. It was forgiving him. It was praying for him. It was releasing him. It was getting in the word and rebuilding this God's image in her. But eventually, I'm totally convinced that those grooves that were in her limbic system were erased out of her brain and new grooves were worn in there. Isn't that amazing? So the thing is this, is this, and this is why, in fact, People who have been, maybe you've been raised by parents that were, you know, not loving. And they told you, you know, you had to be good to be loved. You know, do good to be loved. You know, it was all based on performance. And maybe, or maybe you were told you were no good or would never amount to much. Now listen to this. And so you feel rejected and alone. And then you come to church. And when you come and you come to church and then you hear for the first time somebody preaching and saying, God loves you. He loves you unconditionally, just the way you are. You're not defined by what people have said about you. You are what God says about you. God loves you just the way you are. You're forgiven. You're made clean. You're made whole. You are valuable in the eyes of God. He paid the ultimate, all those things. Paid the ultimate price. Listen to this. And you come and hear that, and then you get excited. Oh, that's exciting. Why do you get excited? Because it's in your prefrontal cortex. When you're hearing the message, just like right now, you're choosing to think about it. So you get excited. Yes, that's what I want to hear. That's who I am. And then you go away, and within a couple of days, it's faded from your prefrontal cortex. And those thoughts, listen. Those thoughts, God loves me just the way I am. He loves me unconditionally. I'm valuable just because he says so. All of that has been filtered through the grooves that have been worn in your brain through all that hurt and that wound. And so now what happens is it's just like a computer. It kicks out and says, does not compute. God loves me unconditionally. Boop, does not compute. Give me another command, an Aaron command. That's, that's old school, ain't it? Aaron command. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember the green screens? Oh, Jesus, help us. Listen. Did you get that? Does that mean anything to you? So the thing is, he says, you have to renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I want to tell you this. I close with this. And that is that every battle that you face, I don't care what area it is in, it could be in relational, it could be financial, it could be in your physical body, it could be sexual temptation, it could be addictions, it could, who knows, it could be one of a thousand things. Every battle you'll face in your life has to first be fought at the level of your thought life. Many people make the mistake of drawing the battle line at the level of their action. I'm not going to do that again. If that's where you're fighting the battle, at the level, I'm not going to do that again, honey, you're going to do that again. You have to fight it at the level that I am not going to allow my mind to go there again. I'm going to keep my mind filled with God's word until God's word changes my brain. And my mind is renewed and there's new growth. Does that mean some to you hearing about the brain like that? And I, when I heard that uh, podcast, I thought, that's a, he's describing in neurological science exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 12. Isn't it interesting? I love science because science eventually will catch up with the word of God. I mean, they're just now catching up with this stuff. It was written thousands of years ago. And they're finally catching up. Isn't that awesome? Isn't the word of God wonderful? Hallelujah. I love it. Get in that Bible. If you've got whatever area it is you've been battling with, get in the word in that area and bathe yourself. Keep in your prefrontal cortex. Keep choosing God's thoughts in that area of your life until God's, listen, until God's thoughts in your prefrontal cortex begin to go down and wear new neural paths back in your memory system. Are you with me now? To where that, watch this, to where you develop a new default position. To where the next time someone comes against you to betray you, your default position is not to get offended, but it's to love them back. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.